Welcome back to The Short Game, a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined by awesome co-hosts Laura Nash. How are you doing, Laura? I'm doing great. And Nate Heininger. How are you doing, Nate? Uh, reconsidering my uh, full investment in a space hotel. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I shouldn't have put all my uh, life savings into that after playing this game, but... Got to withdraw your loyalty from that account. Mm -hmm. Timeshares are never a good idea. Mm. And this week we are talking about Tacoma. Uh, Tacoma is the newest game from Fulbright. So if you are a very long-time listener to this show, I mean, gosh, how did you even find out about us? Our very first episode of this show, way back in, what was it, 2014? It feels like. Yes. Was it really? (laughs) Both feels like and was 2014. (laughs) Uh, Feels like ancient history. Uh, We talked about Gone Home. And uh, if you haven't played that, we have probably talked a lot of sugar about it in a bunch of other episodes over the years. Um, Gone Home was one of the sort of originators of the uh, really poorly named walking simulator genre or, you know, exploration oriented games. Uh, and this is the first game since that by that team. Yes, we've been around so long that we are now getting second releases of full games from companies like Fulbright. Um, and arguably, one of the reasons why this podcast even exists is Gone Home. So uh, we're, I know we've been talking about this game came out like a month ago, and we, we normally would do something like this like day of release. But um, I'm glad we're we're finally back around to get it. Uh, to talk about it. Yeah, and for those who are newer to the show, I wasn't even on the show back then. Um, Tacoma is not a sequel. It's a completely different thing with a lot of shared DNA. It's set in space. You're not going in someone's house. Um, but a lot of the things that define the exploration genre are here in Tacoma. Um, and it's another great story-based game that's right up our alley. I've been looking forward to this for a really, really long time. Um, The setup is, yeah, like you said, very, very different from Gone Home. And in some ways, it's a little bit more conventional. Gone Home was the only game that I've, that at the time I had played set in the kind of setting that it had, you know, a a family home in the 90s, uh, in the very grounded real world setting. And yet, you know, and, and Tacoma is set on a space station in 2088. I've played a lot of games set on space stations. I mean, you know, it it conjures up images of system shock or even things like Bioshock to, you know, wander into a space station where everyone is gone uh, and try to reconstruct what happened there. But are they gone? I think that's the interesting thing about this game is as you are playing Amy, who's someone who's investigating a space issue, you're kind of looking at replayable bits of people. So they're gone, but not gone. A space issue. Mm -hmm. A space issue. Yeah, that's what really (laughs) excites me about this game. In 2013, when I first played Gone Home, I thought this is a new way to tell a story in a video game. And Fulbright invented something there. And where do they go from there? You know, they invented almost completely a new way of telling stories in video games and told a great story. And then where do they go from there? Do they do another game just like it? Do they use exactly the same, you know, methods to tell a different story? Well, they use some of the same stuff. Like you said, Laura, shared DNA. But they have, it's clear that they really tried to find you know, a new way to tell a story in a video game, something that 
wasn't quite the entirely environmental, uh, you know, pick up and read documents style storytelling of their previous game. Uh, it has that, but and it, it adds onto it this sort of uh, AR cutscene esque kind of thing. But it's not quite cutscenes. You know, it, mm-hmm. when I first saw that this game involved. Uh, sort of wireframes of people walking around with voice acting, telling stories in a scene. I thought, oh no, cutscenes. Cutscenes are not what I wanted from Fulbright. But these aren't cutscenes. This is a kind of new thing. I can't quite think of anything that does this style of thing. I have one for you. Hmm. I have one for you. And it's a game that we played very recently. It's not exactly the same, but this game feels sort of similar to when we played The Sexy Brutale. You I had are, that thought too. You are entering into scenes that have already happened and you have the ability to fast forward and replay to follow different individuals, see what they said to each other, see what happened. And you can watch the scene over and over and over as much as you want. Now, obviously in Sexy Brutality, you're trying to uh, interrupt and get into that scene and uh, have an impact on it. Whereas this is all you're watching what's already happened. Um, but it had that same feel to me in a totally different environment, totally different reason, totally different setup, but you are entering a room and you can, you start a, a, a moment and it's all about listening to the people talk to each other. That is like a primary element of that, of this game. And, and we haven't even really set up exactly what, like how this game works. And I think we should kind of take it, take a step back and talk about that a little bit because you've entered the space station, which is broken into like four different sections and you enter into the section and it, and it like clicks and you can download the playback of what happened. And it's these weird skeletal polygon forms. Yeah. I, I think the impression you're supposed to get is that you're seeing the recording that the AI took and the AI is really more interested in general shapes of the body and the role that that person plays. Um, one of my favorite things is the different body types. Or it could have been so easy for them to do one male, one female body and call it a day, but even the body types are differentiated which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. But as you're seeing these kind of general shapes, um, almost like a, like a thermal shape, but they're colored by their icon of their role. um, You're seeing these people run around, all the voice acting is there and you can pause, rewind, fast forward. You have a time turner. Basically you can pick up on conversations, go through doors with people or just stay where you are. Um, It's a different level of, now, you might have things where you uncover a lost memory. I'm still playing Breath of the Wild because I am months <laughs> behind the rest of the world. But it's not a cutscene per se. You can't interact with it, but you can move the camera. You can follow people. You can chase them around. Or you can let them be and explore a room and a conversation in it. Yeah, what what I thought really is cool about this setup, this you know, this sort of so in in the context of the of the world of the game these are uh AR recordings of the space uh and so you're wearing some kind of AR goggles or little i guess i guess a little pads she puts on her head you got your hololens handy. right it's a hololens <laughs> and uh thanks microsoft and they're uh so she's able to see these sort of recordings of past scenes that have taken place in this space you know you're sent to Tacoma, the lunar transfer station Tacoma, which is a space station that orbits the moon and its goal, its role in 
the system of space stations and other uh, orbital stuff is to basically be a equipment transfer center between Earth and what seem like holiday destinations in space and on the moon. You work in the hospitality industry. I know that's such a weird thing. Like I, when I, I love it so much. I, I really like that 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 aspect of it. And it's crewed by these six people. They're all really distinct individual characters. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about each of the characters a little bit, uh, you know, in a, in a little bit. But so it's crewed by these six very distinct individual characters. And what we're watching are these these scenes playing out as Tacoma. Uh, well, you're, you're playing somebody who's coming in after a disaster on the station. Uh, and all of the people who normally would crew this station are gone. They're either, we can't tell at the start, are they dead? Are th- did they escape the station? Are we going to like walk in on them, like just hanging out in one of the rooms somewhere. Like we don't know where they are or why they're no longer there. We do know that your goal, you are playing a contractor whose job is to go into the station and retrieve the station's AI. The station's AI is called Odin. He's this big, all seeing, all knowing, um, space station brain. And he's the one who did all these recordings. And as we progress through the station, trying to find uh, find out what happened there and also trying to find Odin because we're supposed to get there and like, I don't know, retrieve his business. Um, we're seeing these recordings of what I guess are kind of Odin's memories. I kept waiting for the uh, Mike Bithel, Bithel extended universe crossover. Uh, Cause they said that, you know, it was about a hundred years ago when the AI branched and I was just waiting for it to be like, Thomas was so alone that day. <laughs> Unfortunately, Fulbright. So maybe someday. Yeah, it is really fun. At one point, uh, you can read everyone's text messages and you know conversations. And at one point, someone's saying, it's really creepy that you let everything you've ever done get recorded. And the person's like, yeah, I don't really care. Let them watch if they want. Um, which is great as you're digging through everybody's personal correspondence as a voyeur to have someone kind of give you consent after the fact, but it was only one of the six people. It doesn't matter. It's a video game. Everyone yeah. consents to you digging into all of their things yeah. always in a video game. And in a weird sense, this sort of digital voyeurism where we're watching these recordings felt almost less transgressive to me than the sort of much more realistic voyeurism of of like opening every drawer in someone's bedroom in Gone Home. Yeah. So, Oh, which it, you can still do here. Well, that's true. You could definitely still do that here. And... There is a shower scene, but it's uh, you know a lot less uh, you know racy when it's like a weird red polygon you know AI bot. So, so what we already talked about uh, with these recordings that are sort of the main drivers of the story. Uh, of course, you can you know pick up everyone's trash and, and read through all of their paperwork the same as you might in something like Gone Home or even you know Firewatch, but. Um, those scenes that make up the majority of the storytelling here, uh, what's really unique about them. I, we kind of already touched on this, but what I wanted to really emphasize is like, there are six characters in most of these spaces. And when you walk into a new space in the space station, um, you can play through these say 15 minutes of dialogue, but that 15 minutes might involve in one room, uh, Evie St. James, the station director, might be having a conversation with Clive Siddiqui, the uh, operations uh, specialist. And in another room, at the same time, uh, Sarah, uh, the medic, might be talking to Odin. 
who maybe when they're finished talking, she wanders into the next room and has a conversation with Roberta that interrupts a conversation Roberta was having with Natalie. Maybe Andrew was sitting reading something on his on his AR, I guess, what do you call that? Smartphone-esque thing. Yeah. yeah. So these are conversations that flow into each other. Uh, you know, these two people are talking and then in walks somebody else, but that person is walking in from another room where they were having a conversation that motivates what they're talking about in this, in this room. And then they walk out and something else happens. Oh, and then and what that means is that you might have to watch this same thing play out several times, but because you can rewind, you can see, oh, this person walked into the conversation. I'm going to rewind and follow them back to where they were before and see what they were coming from. And something I loved because of the recency of these events is you're exploring the space as left behind by these people. And you might walk into a space and it is the remains of a party or there are bottles and cans on the floor or there might be things tipped over. And as you watch the scenes play out, you might find out how that got there or you might not. It's really lovely to me that um, for an exploration that they add this extra literal layer, this augmented reality in the game is helping you understand that this is a real place that was inhabited by these people. And you feel that loss a little bit more significantly than if you were watching these on a monitor or if they weren't actually inhabiting the space in front of you. I I really appreciated that layering. Um, It felt like I was able to, it felt more invasive than I was expecting in a great way. What I think this really brings to the table that I don't think I've seen before is that like these are in essence a cutscene, right? These are a pre-recorded thing with with uh, you know voiceover dialogue a, and character animation. A cutscene in place, yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, that that's cut- what this adds is that like cutscenes are are, you know, games imitating film, but this is like games imitating site-specific theater or something like that. You know, something that mm-hmm. I was reminded of uh, playing this and Laura, you'll probably be better able to talk about this than I am because I only Since know it I by what it. you told <laughs> me about it. But like when I got into pl- into playing out these scenes, I started thinking about all the descriptions that I've heard from you, Laura, and read about Sleep No More, the sort of site specific. Sorry, it, it's uh, it, it, it's a mashup of Rebecca and Macbeth in a hotel in 1930s, and it's in New York. Um, it's by a London company. So for 99.9 of you who percent of you have never heard of this, it's it's basically they they got this huge warehouse and they changed it up to look kind of like a 1930s hotel. And then you get dumped there and they loop this one hour play three times and you can go anywhere, open any drawer, follow anybody upstairs and the play is who you follow. You know, you can follow Macbeth or you can follow a detective and or you can lose people or you can go into the wall. You can do whatever you want. The difference here, like, shares a lot of the same concept, except here you can rewind. There, if you, you know, lose the detective because he went into a wall, you're turning you around for and the going next a loop. different direction. Yeah, that's pretty rad. <laughs> it is super rad. I, I thought of that and thought like, man, like this is a really rich vein for storytelling that you could, you know, they could bring some of that, th- something like Sleep No More is this unbelievably complicated and probably very expensive production that requires, you know, dozens of actors, enormous amounts of space. And uh, you're in that space with tons of other people trying to observe the same thing. This could bring a lot of that 
th- this is a style of storytelling that I don't think I've seen before that could bring sort of the like, uh, I, I don't know, like the immediacy and kind of um, just everything that seems so cool. Like I, w- w- when I when I was playing through this, I was like, man. I wish they would do a video game of Sleep No More so that I could experience it without having to fly to New York and buy a ticket. And this kind of has that same, I don't know, it's a, it's an approach that I think is really a rich uh, possible vein. And I hope folks take this and run with it in, in a lot of ways. And they do something interesting too in that, so nothing in this game is forced. You could really just like run through everything as far as I could tell mm. and just not even watch a single scene if you didn't want to. But why are you playing this game if you're doing that? Um, but also they sort of, um, they give you incentive to find every person that's involved in the scene by putting little marks on the timeline. When you enter into a scene, there's a, a scrub bar across the bottom, just like you would see when you're moving you know, back and forth on like YouTube or something. And there'll be little marks on there that indicate moments in the scene when a character is looking at their AR desktop and you can go and if you can find that person in that moment um, and interact with their AR desktop when they're interacting with it, which is basically like a Tony Stark esque, you know, floating screen in front of them that they get to interact with while they're walking. You can grab it and see what they were looking at when they were doing that. And it gives you so much more information about them as, um, as characters and what's happening and how they're dealing with it. They, they all have a sort of, you know, text or instant message system back and forth with each other or with people back on earth or wherever, like my favorite, uh, non scene character, Cluey dog. Um, <laughs> and, and so you get these conversations, maybe it's between, uh, the admit, the, uh, admin EV St. James with like the, um, IT network person, I can't think of her last name, but it's uh, Natalie. Uh, you see what they're talking about. So not only are you getting the actual like human interaction between the two people, but you're getting the text message interaction between the people, which might, you know, we all speak differently through text and maybe we'll say things through text that we wouldn't say in person as well. Um, so you get all that information too. So you don't have to go and get those. You don't have to do anything, but like there's big red or big check marks at the bottom when you do it. So uh, it certainly incentivizes you, incentivizes you with, you know, video game achievement style, big check marks. <laughs> so, uh, which, you know, I don't think a game like this needs, but it is, it's, it's nice. It's nice to make sure that you don't miss any of those, what I think are some of the most sort of revealing uh, you know, it, you, it, even if you don't ever find your way into these characters' bedrooms and like read through the paperwork mm. filed in the drawers under their say, beds, when you put it, when you put it that the way, personal <laughs> quarters, exactly. Uh, yeah, even if you miss that stuff, you'll get a really good picture of what's going on just from those AR desktops. So it's really good that they sort of like, you know, um, really light those so that you don't miss them. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. But there's also a, a ton of really great story stuff that's much more subtle and really hidden in a, in a way that's very kind of Fulbright E. I think, you know, it's, it, that's sort of their ethos or their, their aesthetic now is this, you know, these sort of layered stories where people's motivations are revealed to you slowly through what, through details that seem almost, um, almost inconsequential, but then they add up to a larger picture. Yeah. This was what made me, made me feel, um, most like the sort of environmental storytelling. Like when, when I um, 
playing this, you know, the the walking simulator genre has evolved a lot. Uh, and a lot and to a degree it feels more like guided storytelling. Like Firewatch, one of our, you know, favorite games, or at least one of my favorite games, was definitely environmental storytelling, but you're more or less being told, go here, go here, go here, go here. Uh, and that's what this game felt like um too, which is totally fine. But the expansion of the characters through like the shit on the ground uh, is where it felt uh, the most full brighty to me as well. I also think it's funny too. all these games, like you can pick stuff up and if you hover kind of back where you picked it up from, you can put it back. But if you're just slightly to the side or to the left or whatever, you just kind of like fling the item. So there was like <laughs> several times of like, you pick up a letter and it's like this heartfelt love letter or something. And then you just slightly miss where you're trying to, but it's just like, I just imagine the characters being like throwing it down. Like this is not useful to me. Um, I actually had a lot of, they had, they had a lot of fun with the put back element. Did you guys find the skeleton? Yes. And the skull. There's literally a skeleton in the closet when you open one. <laughs> and the skeleton is missing a head. And later you can find that skull. And if you backtrack, you can put the head back. It's got that same put back mechanic, just as if you'd picked it up off the floor. But you can put it back in its place to give the skeleton back its skull. And there's quite a few little things like that. I'm sure that that is an achievement. I actually saw the skull. I just didn't go back and get did it. You guys make I'm a, a bad person. Did you make a basket uh, in the basketball hoop? Oh, yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah. It's a real good sports game there. <laughs> yeah, I tried and I failed because I cannot play sports even virtually. <laughs> it's zero gravity. You just go up next to it and push it through. It's uh, in the like the hub of the world is zero gravity, so you can just move up, down, left, right, whatever you want, x and y axis. And of course, there's a basketball hoop that's spinning around. Which it's like, man, if I was in a zero gravity place forever, I would that it, I would absolutely put up a basketball hoop because that would be so much fun. <laughs> So I mentioned body shapes earlier, but I just want to give a shout out for the diverse cast of characters. We got gender parity. We got a lot of ethnicities. It's the future. They really could have done whatever they wanted. Everyone is from interesting uh, states or countries. Like you have a lot of fun backtracking. Um, you know, I think you're from the Republic of California yourself. <laughs> um, yeah. But even in, especially in a game where people are kind of reduced to these polygon shapes. You didn't need to do different body types. You didn't need to, when we look at people's badges, have different ethnicities, different ages, different, um, you know, it does have my favorite everyone is gay in space trope, almost everyone, (laughs) which I love. Um, Well, you get actual relationships. It's not Mm -hmm. just like a person is like, I went on a date with a man last week. The relationship Um, between um, Natalie and Roberta, their conversations uh, were my favorite. And their wedding photos, very cute. I think that you – I think you spend – I think you spend the most time with Natalie and Roberta, but it might just be my, you know, memory of them being the most interesting characters too, though. Um, They even at like – they do some crazy stuff, which is just good sci-fi work. You know, there's the uh, the Tibetan War of night of 2052. Did you guys find oh, that? Yeah, uh, yeah. Some what I forget his name. The character um, uh, Andrew uh, Dagyeb. Dagyeb. Yeah, he's a uh, his family are refugees from the of the Tibetan War of 2052. You know, they just do some really good. It's sci-fi tropes, but you know, it, it works every time. So, um, and Sarah's room is just. 
this beautiful like zen like you of course the medic is into yoga but if you look around you're like oh no it's it's more specific than that it's not just a generic yoga she actually has like it you know it's something she turns to in a crisis she's the medic Mm -hmm. it's part of her healing practice like everything that seems kind of superficial they tend to deepen um, a degree past what you would expect in a action movie, sci-fi movie, video game, you name it. it. It's another level deeper. Yeah, every character feels extremely like well thought out and also well researched. And every every detail of their room speaks to something about their backstory. Every every piece of trash in every room has you can tell. Okay, this piece of trash was definitely Roberta's because. X, you know, there's, there's so she much detail <laughs> in every, every inch of this game. And almost all of it speaks directly to one of these six characters, backstories and motivations. And it really mm-hmm. adds up to, you know, six characters that I cared about individually, almost as much as I cared about really the, the two central characters of Gone Home. Like they've really done a great job of building a cast that you want to know more about, that you care about that you, you know, that you really, really hope are okay. (laughs) Yeah. Everyone has a, there's some depth, some, there's some other story that you learn about, be it either the relationship that's not talked about, or um, Sarah has a huge burden on her shoulders about a previous um, thing at a previous job that Mm. she's dealing with. Probably the most Um, interesting sort of backstory. And she was such a fascinating character. I'm glad she was so central to the sort of, story and that's never there's no conversation between the two care between two characters saying like well i you know they could be really easy for them to be like well i know what you did on the old uh space station or what you know anything like that but it's not there it's a team that's working together and everyone has their own stuff their own baggage uh even that like tibetan thing as far as I could tell, that was found on one piece of paper. If you happen to look in the one guy's room, he's just a botanist, though. He's not he's not a revolutionary who, you know, is is constantly talking about his war past. He's there on the space station trying to do his job. Yeah, he's working in the service <laughs> industry. Like, essentially, all mm-hmm. of these people, this is just a job in hospitality that they took because it, you know, it pays – in loyalty in you know the yeah. bizarre economic system that they've kind of devised for this future by all accounts it's not a great job though there's one oh yeah uh, i think it's natalie yeah, it's is is um way more qualified for she could be making way more money elsewhere but she wants to be there because uh bert is mm-hmm. also working there so they kind of mm-hmm. imply that like it's not they're not even making that much money you know it's just it's a job yeah. It would have been so easy for this game to say, now you're going to go to the botanist quarter and you're going to learn all about the botanist now and all of the backstory will be here. Now, some of that's true. You get some extra time in their personal quarters in their area, but it's not as if you haven't been learning about them through the entire game. It's not a siloed game like that. You learn more and more of people about t- over time. It really doesn't uh it's not like edith finch which you might have played where you're going to learn about one thing at a time um the game is much more concerned about them as a community their backstory and how it affects how they deal with crisis now
So before we jump into our spoiler break, I want to talk about one other thing, and that is that this game feels like it could very easily slide into a virtual reality platform with no problems. I mean, even at the beginning, you are walking up and like, as if you are doing a virtual reality machine, putting your hands on things, there's a lot of lifting, the controls are easy. It feels like maybe they even considered having this in VR first. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I went to Shane's house and sat and played the beginning and especially the beginning section where you're seated and you can see your feet and there's this little video that plays before you get up. Felt like the start of all four VR games I've played (laughs) all started that exact same way. I'm only citing four because I'm a novice, but it still felt like the opening sequence was setting up a virtual reality game. Yeah, I I see that. I think that they were playing with that AR concept, um, which is a great sci-fi conceit for the for the context. Um, But yeah, you could easily see them tying that to, you know, uh, put these put these pods on your head. And by doing that, you're you're configuring your HTC Vive or whatever. It's it's it could easily be a VR game. And it it sort of surprises me that they didn't end up going that direction. As far as I know, um, I mean, this is out for. Uh, Mac, PC, and Linux on a bunch of different platforms, everything from uh, from itch.io to uh, to Steam. But as far as I know, it is not on any of the VR platforms. So it's not on the PlayStation at all. You can't play it on the PSVR. And as far as I know, it doesn't support any headsets for PC. Well, I think they don't yet have a effective way to handle um, walking in VR that doesn't just have you still holding like the PS4 controller um, mm-hmm. or whatever controller. Um, so once a good solution, like a, a real good solution to that is found, I think the uh, this genre is going to explode in VR because it makes the most sense. Like, yeah, I would love to play this game or Firewatch or Gone Home or any of them where I'm actually in it, you know, picking the things up. Um, but until yeah. we get good good traversal that would allow free reign like you'd want and doesn't make um, you feel slightly queasy yeah, uh, yeah. but mm-hmm. once that gets solved for sure i think that this it's going to be a floodgates for this cuz this is this whole genre that's like perfect for vr it's what you would want in vr yeah uh, you know being being the character in the story um other than uh super hot vr which was Oh man, cool it, which, which I got to play VR. this week. I know that's a huge side oh, note, but like just to relate it to what we're talking about here, like to to make super hot work in VR, they took the movement out. You can you can yeah. you know raise up and and crouch, but you're not walking around at all. It's it's the super hot experience with people coming at you, but yeah. you're standing in one place. So and it works great, but yeah. this won't that won't work if you want to like crouch and get down and crawl under a table or something like that. Uh, in these games, but yeah, like if they could figure out some way to let you play out these scenes, you know, without having to walk around, that would be one thing. But I think that's so key. Like exploring the space is so key to this experience that, yeah, it would take a really excellent implementation of just that sort of walking around in 3d virtual space to, to make it really work for me. But I do think it would be really interesting to see this storytelling style with this sort of, um, you interacting with these pre-recorded scenes in this way, that would be something that I would be really interested in trying in a VR game. Uh, I just want to call out to, um, I know you already mentioned it, but I think 
the voice acting really deserves oh, a, yeah. a a moment of spotlight because there's a lot of games where I kind of feel like uh, voice acting can kind of take it or leave it. Like I'm fine reading. Uh, I'm fine, you know, if they want to do voice acting. But in this game, it, it sealed it. I, the, the voice acting and the fact that um, it's spatial related. So like when people are talking – as you get closer to them, it gets louder. You can kind of hear people talking through um, doors. So the entire sound design on that element uh, with the with the um, voice acting was phenomenal. And really, uh, all the actors did a great job and really helped set the tone and the, the stress of the situation and the reality of the characters. Uh, just a great job. That's a really good point. Um, the, the spatial audio is like surprisingly important in a way because like you do hear people talking seemingly sort of from the other room and things like that in this game. And that's actually, you know, useful information because then you can go investigate what they're talking about. Um, Mm -hmm. But man, the, the voice acting in this, like every single actor that worked on this is, did a phenomenal job. Um, Like it's, it's well-written dialogue and that definitely helps. Um, you know, it's dialogue that feels natural, but it is so well delivered. Like it puts so many other games that I've played completely to shame, even Mm -hmm. games that I thought had really good voice acting. This is just, these are great performances from all six actors. And there's zero facial expressions or, I mean, Mm -hmm. there's some body positions to help you, but when there's so little, uh, there's no uncanny valley here because... (laughs) You just have a body position and a voice, and it, it's a lot more effective than you would think. Yeah, mm-hmm. that actually probably helped. Like, I don't know if they would have been able to pull off the voice acting if they'd had to also do things like mouth animations to go along with it. Yeah, this is an independent game. There's no way that they're going to be able to to put a you know motion capture rig and like facial camera on every one of these actors while they're giving these incredible performances. And it wouldn't feel real. Well, and the fact that it's in a 3D space. So when when games already have a hard enough time with uh, mouth animations and people talking, and that's when the game is like presenting it to you from a particular angle. They don't have to worry about what it would look like if you happened to, while you were watching this, like get up on a shelf and look down at it from the top, (laughs) you know, uh, or wherever you want to go, uh, because sometimes there's zero gravity. So I think it was both a it's a great example of design meeting um, story. You know, I don't, Mm -hmm. this is probably a chicken and the egg sort of thing, um, but it it just works and it makes it more timeless too, because every game that does voice, um, you know, CGI or whatever is just only going to look worse with time. And this game is, can hold up because they didn't even try. They did a more interesting solution. Designing to limitations. Yep, exactly. So before we talk about anything spoilery, uh, I guess we should wrap up for those of you who are going to be leaving us before the spoiler break. After the spoiler break, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about each of the characters and some of the backstory that you discover throughout the game. We're going to talk about details of the ending. Um, There's a lot of really cool stuff to dive into there. So if you've played the game, please stick with us after the spoiler break, and we're going to be talking about all that stuff. Or heck, if you have decided that this game is not for you, but you're generally curious or you don't have a whole lot of uh, investment in the discovering of this stuff for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, But before we we slide into that spoiler break, first off, this is a game that you can pick up on Xbox One, Steam, itch.io which is how i recommend it because they will give you a steam key if you're the sort that really really needs that and that uh, the then you're supporting itch and you're supporting uh 
the developers a little more directly because they get more of that more of that pie than they do on Steam. Um, and uh, it's also available on GOG if you use that, if you're one of those 10 folks. Um, <laughs> it's uh, $19.99. <laughs> uh, and I would say in terms of time, uh, it really varies depending on how much, uh, how sort of detail-oriented you are. But I would expect uh, to spend maybe three hours with this game. Does that sound about right? Yeah, two to four, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. I always love it when a game time, you can tell it's an exploration game when it's like, it's either going to be this time or double this time. <laughs> two to, <laughs> yeah. Two to and, five, uh, two to four, two to five hours, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can find our show on the internet at www.theshortgame.net where you'll find a contact form with, uh, that's how you can get in touch with us and let us know about cool short games that you're playing, things that you think that we ought to cover. We want to hear about that stuff. Or you can let us know your feedback on these episodes. We love hearing from you. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore short game, or you can leave us a review on iTunes. Those really do help. We haven't had one in a while. If you are in the iTunes review leaving mood. Uh, we really appreciate that. Go search for us there. And that's a great way to help people find the show. Um, I am on Twitter at Reagan K that's R A Y G A N K. And, uh, Nate, where can people find you? Twitter at Nate S T L. And Laura, where can people find you? You can also find me on Twitter at Laura J Nash. And, uh, here it is your spoiler break. So this ship is full of ships. Nice. Uh, no, there's a ton of romance going down <laughs> on board, and it's I am here for it. I mean, some of them are on the open. Like, we've mentioned um, the lovely marriage of Natalie and Roberta, the network specialist and the mechanical engineer. Oh, wait, are they actually One of them married? Because I didn't realize that they were actually married. Oh, it's after the spoiler break. You could un- um, uh, Bert's uh, work desk, one of the pictures on her workshop is actually her just married picture of the two of them in wedding dresses Aww. making out in zero G. I don't think I saw that. Oh, how did I miss that? Yeah. That's great. They they get on that. Um, so it's, it's shown that space elevator that uh, malfunctioned that mm. the Sarah was involved in her backstory. Mm-hmm. There's a picture of the two of them making out on that elevator in space wow. um, with a just married picture. That's great. And I'm like, I'm glad that the elevator didn't malfunction while these and two lovely ladies were only, making out. And only killed that social media star. It only killed that food guru, <laughs> the travel blogger. Yeah. You know, that w- can I just that- say that like uh, the thing that was the the best surprise about this game for me was that while everything is really sort of tense and even kind of dark, you know, this is a this is not a utopian future. Um, Corporations I'm, are terrible. I'm so glad that like everything seemed every, everything ultimately kind of turned out basically okay. Like, and so you know, finding out okay, R- Roberta and Natalie, they're okay. They have this beautiful relationship that seems like you know that's great. Finding out the you know Clive, who seems kind of like a sad sack, seems to be turning over a new leaf uh, in his sort of background romance with Evie St. James, where you know it's 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 not professional for them to talk about it. So you don't see it in any of the AR scenes, but or you do, but it's. Uh, you know, it, it, it's something that you have to really look for. Um, every one of these characters has these these lives that are full of love for each other and other people, and it's such a relief that this game doesn't end up with you opening a bunch of pods and finding their corpses. Yeah, I know, right? Oh my God. God. 
And how a cutscene ends with the two of them like leaping on each other. They're like I know. in yes. the corner of the. Uh, Get yeah. it, girls. Uh, so cute. Also, like a good example of this is there's that scene where, uh, so you're finding out, you know, uh, half the crew's going into cryo, and you find out that uh, like Natalie uh, was really not a good candidate for cryo. It's very likely that she's going to die. It's actually most likely that she's going to die from going into cryo, but it's like their only option. And you get this little moment of stress because, you know, she's oh, man. a great character. I was sure I was going to find her frozen and then, No, it's like five minutes later, she's fine. Like, they don't make you stew on that. It's That's one of the last scenes before you get into the resolution mm-hmm. when you see her again. So there, there was no uh, – I, I was really expecting a, like – Cut scene of like, get her out of there, you know, and like, the, like, a, like a chest. She yeah. has a heart murmur. Yeah, you know, and because there is a chest compression scene, uh, like any good, you know, drama. Um, but uh, yeah, no, she's just fine and she's just floating there, and you know, the cat's there and everybody's great. The cat, Margaret Catwood. Too good, too good. Um, but I, I did want to talk about um, the, the space elevator one because that was the one that was really interesting to me. Like, Sarah in a way, is kind of the protagonist. Yeah. I mean, everyone is, but you spend the most time with her, and she ultimately is the one who, like, you... you kind of saves the, the day. Game. Yeah, it kind of saves the day. The robot does, too. She's besties with the AI. It's yeah. sort of imp- implied that she's the one that contacted... So the, the character that you're playing that's the contractor investigating the place, at the end, it seems sort of implied that... that um, that you are, you, you are playing the character that she contacts at the end of the game. Is it? Or I didn't get that. I think she contacted Cluey Dog or one I of those guys. That, I thought that you are Cluey Dog. No, I think no. so. Cluey Dog leaked everything to the press, oh, and you're okay. you're a member of the resistance that yeah. went in as a fake contractor. Mm. Yeah, it's it's definitely not like specific. That was my read on it, but maybe I'm maybe I'm drawing at straws there. Uh, but Cluey Dog definitely tips off uh, tips off the press, and and that is what results in you being there. I. I I, I thought that Sarah's backstory was absolutely the most interesting mm-hmm. one. Well, it's just crazy, you know. Um, she is involved in a tragedy, and the it, it's kind of the first hint that the corporations are uh, are no good. You know, um, they're trying to pressure her into taking full responsibility for the uh, for the tragedy, and if so, she'll even get like a better job if she does. Uh, which she continues to turn down. But what I adore about Sarah is that she has the... If any character was secretly on the ship to blow up the AI based on their backstory, it would be Sarah. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's in this horrible situation where an AI malfunctioned and the corporation blamed her for it. And yet, when you see Sarah in most of her scenes, she's having these rich intensely personal conversations with Odin, the AI. Yeah, she's definitely the most interested in sort of seeing the humanity in the AIs. And honestly, having a great relationship where everyone else is having conversations with each other or on the phone, she's more likely to have conversations with Odin. And or, you know, and he's guiding her through her meditation. He knows her. Mm-hmm. Um, I... I'm so happy they didn't make her like a counter-revolutionary or, you know, I thought at one point maybe she set the whole thing in motion because she wanted to blame the corporation. They don't make her evil. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, it's none of these characters, even the even the AI is is nice in a way. Like even the AI kind of helps save the day. I guess the Not only kind of, evil straight up. Char- yeah, yeah. I guess the only evil uh, characters are the Venturis Corporation CEO and his pet AI that like proposed the idea of of sort of staging the disaster. Well, and they also um, part of Natalie's backstory is that she's working really hard to increase like the compassion and understanding of the AI, mm-hmm. which and I independence and yeah. independence, which I kind of assumed was part of what led to Odin making the decision to go against its orders and ultimately save the humans and yeah. be recruited by the AI is robots. People. We, I just, <laughs> it's, we keep having this discussion. Uh, <laughs> It's amazing that this question has sustained sci-fi, uh, you know, fiction for like fifty years now. Uh, yes, well, and- of course, that's because <laughs> it all comes back to is people, people, is- you know. <laughs> But yeah, it's so, this is... Our robots ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really, really like sort of the version that sort of like the um, the the sci-fi take on AI here. You know, the the idea that, you know, roughly 100 years ago, they, they, they finally got sort of an AI and they've branched, like almost like doing clippings off of a tree and planting them, that these AIs are kind of branches or versions uh, that are based on a sort of a core AI program. But they've, they've expanded on them, not by like reprogramming them or, you know, inventing new AIs, they've expanded on them by over more than 100 years, essentially training them through conversation and things like that. And that's why they have to keep tabs on Odin, uh, Odin's scores on his like, compassion and inventiveness and so on. And those are things that they don't program into him. They sort of draw them out of him through conversation and through experimentation. I think that's a really fascinating idea for like how AI could work. It's, you know, at some point you have to raise it like a child or something. It ties into the tenets of machine learning, which Mm -hmm. is that you must give them the inputs to let the computers, you know, uh, make make their mistakes or make the connections between things that, mm-hmm. that really we're the inputs. Um, and then they're running through to learn from that data set that there's going to be some emerging intelligence, even in our nascent kind of terrible AIs. Now, like you get a lot of um, the darker sides right now or what everyone's looking at, which is, you know, Oh no, we've made a racist robot because we gave it Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Don't feed robots. Twitter. Or we uh, we made a racist robot because we only tested it on white faces the whole time. Hey, yeah. yeah. But when you have lovely Natalie training them with uh, an entire drawer full of Rubik's cubes, like, <laughs> then, then Odin becomes really cool and woke and helps you out in trouble. I like that. It is kind of it is kind of a future where it's like we're past a lot of the bullshit that I. That, that, you know, everyone struggles with today. I mean, this is only 2088. It's not that far in the future. And the world is by far not a perfect place. But At like, least the spaceship you, is. Right. You look at this team of people and they are great people. And they've had a good influence on Odin and he helps them out in the end. And I, I really sort of liked that. That that made the sort of uplifting ending feel feel a little bit real because it, you know, it it... it it wasn't your typical downer sci-fi ending in my opinion. Yeah, the game was setting you up over and over and over to be sad. Yeah. I was just so ready constantly. Like, yeah, the cry the cryo chambers. I'm gonna open a cryo chamber, 
and there's going to be a Dead body bodies. in there. I know. Just it, like oh, I thought for sure I was going to find a corpse in the attic and gone home, but it turned out with a really like uplifting ending. This is a signature for them. Gone home, I always thought there were going to be ghosts. I was, I was, <laughs> <laughs> it was not, ghosts everywhere. I was so certain that this was going to be ghosts constantly. And how happy am I that this is not a game where for 20 minutes a robot lectures you about humans and violence and preventing nuclear war or that mm. humans are violent towards each other or that humans are dark and depraved and need to be put down. Like, humans are truly illogical. They are illogical. not interested in robot commenting on human violence and I am so happy. I'm sick of it. Mm. It's really just a nice sci-fi story that comes down to six very nice personal stories and... I mean, Seven. what else could you want? Yeah, that's true, because Odin's story is pretty uh, pretty fleshed out, too. And what else could you really want out of a... a you know, I, I, was, I was 100% satisfied with this game. I will say that, and I, I don't want this to sound like... you know, It's hard to compare anything against Gone Home, a game that I feel, in a way, kind of changed the way that I look at games. But this game was a totally worthy follow-up from a really great team. I'm so glad that we finally got to play it. Um, I just really, really enjoyed it. And to replace the narrative about you know, guns and violence and humans being generally awful, there's an anti-capitalism message that's super strong. I mean, you open uh, walkers and there are union packets. The humans celebrate Obsolescence Day, which is a party completely programmed by their AI about the day that humans were decided that they could keep humans on spaceships. Mm. And like... Ultimately, the corporation is terrible. Oh, man, the corporations are terrible. But it's like, it's this sort of, you know, this is by no means like a worker's utopia future, but it it's a future where there is some path forward for humans in, uh, humans sort of struggling against these enormous forces of, um, the hospitality industry. Oh, yeah. Or just like just it's, this enormous corporate control and also just automation of of people. You know, they're 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 the whole uh, obsolescence day thing was like a really cute way to kind of explain why do we have people on this space station at all when we have these incredible AIs and, and you know, robotic stuff and everything that could probably be doing these same jobs. I mean, heck, it's just, it's because of unions, which mm -hmm. is a really interesting thing to think about. Like, what are unions, what is the role of unions in space? What is the role of unions in a world where uh, strong AI and complete automation exist? It's sort of an interesting uh, sort of side thing to think about. It's not front and center, but it's there. Well, kind of. The entire motion of the story is because of this concept. Mm. But yeah. um, also, this is a core element of subsurface circular, the game we mm -hmm. played last time. So it, it's an interesting topic. I think this game focuses more on the human element of it, um, whereas the other one, you know, subsurface focus more on like, you know, is robots people side of it. Uh, but <laughs> uh, it, it is, I mean, it is, it is, it is. The game is not preachy about it, I think, was mm -hmm. what's different. That is that is a core element of this game, is that corporations are terrible. Uh, and that's not even futuristic. I think this is this is their take on, like, this is current. They just have robots now. Yeah. And know? it's completely current. I mean, you get into an elevator shaft, and they make you look at a commercial for your 
for their own company. Mm-hmm. That's every elevator in an office building right uh-huh. now has the damn commercials playing at you where they give you a weather and a business stat and tell you that it's always good weather for business. <laughs> oh, God. Like, that's my elevator. So the fact yeah. that every time you go down a shaft, you have to see an advertisement makes complete sense. The Carnival Cruise guy has to have the word carnival at the bottom of his social media avatar. I've seen that on Twitter from people's companies <laughs> making them put the name of the company on yeah. their avatar. Little details like that is great. I love things advertising at you when you are consuming the thing that they are advertising at you. Oh. I was like, I know. <laughs> what, what, what more do you want from me? I'm here. <laughs> do you want me to live here? I'll move in. McDonald's, fine. Whatever. Give me a place to stay. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded really desperate there for a moment, Nate. <laughs> Give me a place to stay, McDonald's. I just, you know, if you're going to keep yelling at me, just let me live with you, corporations. I guess that's what I'm saying. Send Actually, me to space. Like, it is the sort of loyalty yeah. economy that they have yeah. in this game. That's it's what this really sort of dark economic future where companies control your working life to such a degree that they don't pay you in money you can spend just on anything they pay you in like company mm-hmm. script called loyalty that you just you can't Dave and Buster that. <laughs> we're getting I, I mean I am preparing myself to be paid in Amazon Prime credits because oh, I feel like that is uh, the next step uh, and you have to live in an Amazon locker and <laughs> yeah. buy your food at Whole Foods yeah, mm-hmm. it's uh it's a it's a dark future but also one that's kind of full of hope, which is why I really why I really love it. it you know, it has true conflict. It's an interesting world full yeah. of things that you can have an opinion about, but you know, it's not this is not Blade Runner. You know, this is a yeah. this is a sort of a sort of a hopeful future in a way on the personal level. And that's well, what I really liked about it. I am hopeful that we enact National Fuck It Day which they seem to have done in this future. (laughs) Which is my favorite holiday. I wondered about that. I looked on every day of the calendar, like, and I was, and when I found National Fuck-A-Day, I just kind of circled it in my heart, took a screenshot, and sent it to everybody. (laughs) What holiday do you think that we currently have could be repurposed as National Fuck-A-Day? I'm willing to give up Columbus Day. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, that's becoming Indigenous People's Day. I'm thinking 4th of July converts into <laughs> national fuck it day all we do anyway is just shoot fireworks and barbecue so uh let's care even less i'm just fuck it day it's perfect mm-hmm. i'm sold all let's right let's make it international though <laughs> that's too america centric that's as the america this game I has taught me yep all right well Are i'm we gonna, gonna go eat at taco bell um renew my whole foods subscription and um bury myself into my amazon bungalow how about you guys? And never, ever invest in a timeshare. Yeah. And I'm going to go beg Siri not to kill me. <laughs> All right. Well, is, you think it's safe to say we recommend this game? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I wholly recommend it. I tried to, I thought there was a bad ending and tried to figure out how not to end it badly. And then I just gave up and, ended, quote, ended it badly in my head. And then they were like, psych, you're resistant. So even when you think that you're you're a failure in this game, it's still telling you you're great and that, um, you know, you can save the AI. So, yep. Just a, it, I think of it more as just a really good story than like, it, it, it's got a lot of great game ideas here but this is just really a good story uh told in an extremely inventive way so and everyone wins even the cat gets to survive christopher nolan needs to pick it up and make a movie there will be a movie of this game probably i hope someone does it well 
because Hollywood doesn't have any good writers anymore, so they go to all the video games. Um, but anyway. And thank you guys so much for joining us. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Nate, I did not mean to do that. that. That was bad, bad comic timing. It was beautiful. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. We already did our admin before the spoiler break, so I'll just leave it uh, with thank you for listening and uh, join us next week for another episode of The Short Game.